And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's Word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation, a sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for The Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888 That's P.O. Box 18888 San Antonio, Texas 78218 Welcome to The Bible Live Quiz Hour It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Sophie will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. All right, here we are. We are all alone this evening, except, well, of course, John. Don't be offended, John. I'm... (laughs) I didn't mean I'm all alone and you don't count. I'm just saying my good buddy Jacob, our good buddy Jacob, is not with us tonight. Yeah, he's uh, under the weather. If I remember remember correctly, it's... Uh, you know, I've got his text. I should look at it. Uh, seemed like he said somebody. The Does that make us above the weather? We're above the weather. He is under the weather. And, he, of course, he's got the weight of the weather and the, our weight on top of him. So let me see if I, I've got that text. Uh said something about he was, um, uh, I'm not feeling well. Oh, I thought he said something about his voice or his throat. But, no, he says, I'm not feeling well. And he's going to have to uh, pass on the show tonight. And I told him to rest in body, soul, and spirit and get strong. Say a little prayer for him. Lord, take care of our good friend, uh, Jacob. And uh, we'll bungle along here, bumble along without him. And uh, see if we can get through the next 90 minutes. With your help, folks, I need you, uh, especially tonight, to be willing to call in and give us a thought, give us an idea, talk to us a little bit. This is a program about... The book, the old book, the Bible. The uh, yeah, we say one book, but it's sixty-six different books written over a period of thousand five hundred years. Forty different authors, times of peace, times of war, times of plenty, times of famine, uh, just all kinds of different times, different periods, different um, languages, even that there was written into. And we'll talk about a lot of that tonight. We're right now in our Bible reading schedule. We are. We have finished the book of Numbers this past week. Uh, We read Numbers chapters 27 through 36. And uh, then we moved right on into the book of Deuteronomy. 
and read chapters one through six of that book. So we're in, still right now. We're we're in the books of Moses, the Torah, the books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then we'll be returning to pick up with the Gospel of Mark. That's what we do. We read through the entire Bible every year, but we kind of bounce back and forth. We alternate back and forth between the Hebrew Scriptures, the Tanakh, and the New Testament, the books of the New Testament, uh, recording the the coming of Jesus of Nazareth, his birth, his life, uh, his claim to be that long-awaited, promised Messiah, Redeemer, Savior that was predicted uh, and prophesied in many, many ways all throughout the Tanakh, all throughout the Hebrew Scriptures. Uh, the You have to remember the, the idea of a Savior, the idea of a hero, a Redeemer, uh, a Messiah. It is not a Gentile concept. We did not invent it. The concept of the Messiah was there long before. It's always been there from very early in the Scriptures. In the book of Genesis, we see uh, the... Uh, God revealing himself to the human race, to human beings, revealing something, himself as the creator, revealing his purposes for humanity, uh, the reason that we were created to, to know him, to, to come into a relationship, to enjoy an interpersonal love relationship with our creator. That is the reason uh, the human beings were created. We are distinct and different from the animals in that we have the gift of personhood. We have the gift of self-awareness of who we are and and, uh, make a choice. We are spiritual beings ourselves. You are a living spirit yourself. You don't have a spirit. You are a spirit, a spiritual being. And you have a soulish capacity, that is the ability to feel and think and reason and express your thoughts you are through our senses taste sight hearing feeling uh and, and so on we 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 experience the world around us the physical world around us and we analyze and reason and make conclusions about it and learn things about it and uh so we bring the we then we develop our feelings. What do we feel about this or that or the other? And we have our, our intellect that we reason and think, and we therefore can communicate with other rational creatures, other reasoning, uh, uh, other human beings we can talk with and share our thoughts and, and so on. So we are a spirit. We have a soul, uh, that uh, neurological system of our of our uh, that at work in our bodies, that, that those, those little, our brain, sends these electro- electrochemical impulses to our muscles and make them move and our bodies function and respond to that and we think and reason with ideas and so on. So we have that soulish capacity, the, the home of the intellect and the emotions, and then we have our body, which, uh, which houses, of course, these five senses by which we experience the world around us and by which we communicate ourselves to uh, the world around us into other our other soulish beings, other human beings as well. So there you go. We uh, God created us, but ultimately we have that unique capacity to know Him uh, if we desire. That that's the idea. The will, the human will, is uh, that's that's 
our spiritual being. That's where we have that unique capacity to decide what we're going to believe, uh, who we're going to believe. We have that unique capacity to decide who we're going to like, who we're going to serve uh, with our lives, what we're, you know, on what basis we're going to make our, our live our lives. And each of us make those decisions. Every human being has from Adam and Eve on forward. Uh, but God created us for himself, we're told in the scriptures clearly. And that, uh, and then all through the scriptures you have these predictions of a Savior, a Redeemer, because the problem is we make bad choices. Uh, we don't always choose God. None of us, in fact, chooses God consistently and always and chooses the right thing. So God has made a provision for us to be forgiven to be cleansed, to be atoned, our sins to be atoned for, for he is a holy and just and righteous king, a, a God. And uh, he then, in his fairness and justice, he, he must condemn selfishness and evil and wickedness. And uh, we would not respect a God otherwise. He's just a God who just kind of willy-nilly says, I like you, I'm not, not like you, and I don't like you, but I like this guy. Uh, we would not want that in an earthly judge. We expect an earthly judge to be just. We expect him to be fair. We, we wouldn't want to have a member of our family attacked and and harmed in some way and then taken before a judge and the uh the criminal pays a huge bribe to the judge and he says oh, i'm going to let him off you know you you're free to go we would go no that's not right that's not justice we want justice uh this should be and that's the idea we want well we don't want justice necessarily when when we are on the other side when we are the offender but god is just and and, and right in his all his ways and we can respect that, and we can want that and desire that. Um, but it also tells us something about God's love and that he made a provision. He made a, a way by which we as fallen, sinful human beings can be reconciled to him, could have our sin atoned and forgiven. And not, not only forgiveness of sin, but he, and this is what we're looking at in the books of uh, uh, Numbers and Deuteronomy, you have to understand, everyone, that the salvation that God offers to us in the Bible is not just forgiveness. Do you understand? Do you realize that you, you thought of that, John? I don't know if you realize that uh, the salvation is not all just about forgiveness. Forgiveness is a part of it. We are forgiven and delivered from the penalty of our sin. Uh, it's, it's the aspect of salvation we call justification. Uh, we have been justified by faith. You know, the book of Romans, Paul points it out. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we do receive forgiveness, and we are made just as if I'd never sinned. Our sins are atoned and forgiven and covered, and uh, and we are made right with God. Our, posi our legal position now with God is that we are... Uh, perfect. We are we are right with God. We are just as if we'd never sinned before. But now the process begins of the transformation of our character. the 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 second phase of our salvation is called sanctification. We are becoming what we already are. We're becoming in our experience and in our responses and in our practical everyday behavior and lives and attitudes. We are becoming perfect as well. We, first, we're delivered from the penalty of sin. Now, 
as the Spirit of God is working in our lives, as as the as the people of God, as uh, uh, men and women of God all over planet Earth, every nation, every tribe, every language group, there are men and women who, by faith, have come into the relationship with God through the atoning work of Jesus, the Messiah, the the Christ. And uh, we've come into that relationship with God. We've been made, made right with God. We are not perfect. Uh, we're forgiven. But on the other hand, it doesn't stop there. Then God is at work, and we're told about it in the book of Deuteronomy, that God is going to write his laws on our hearts. That uh, we see the laws of God delivered in the book of uh, Exodus, and now the book of Deuteronomy. We started. We started this past week. Uh, the name of the book means second law, and it's not it, it, not exactly the second law. It's a second giving of the laws of God. Moses' uh, uh, fifth book is it is titled the Septuagint uh, translation. Uh, Deuteronomy means the second law. It, it means a. a it's taken from chapter 17, verse 18, that talks about a copy of this law. Actually, the second giving of the law to the second generation of Israel after Egypt. And uh, they have been uh, prepared and, and commanded and led to enter into the promised land that God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their ancestors. And yet, by lack of faith and fear, they did not enter in. They did not obey God. And so God... Uh, um, told them then that as a result of that, they would have to wander for 40 years in the wilderness until every member of that generation, all the males of that generation, died, except Caleb and Joshua, these two heroes of the faith. Who uh, There was these ten spies that were sent into the land, you remember, and two of them came back saying, well, we can go, we can do what God tells us to do, we should take the land, and and that was Caleb and Joshua. Well, all the males of the of the uh, the adult males of the first generation that came out of Egypt had to die in the wilderness, and, and then God would lead them into uh, the promised land, the next generation. And so this is the giving of the law to that second generation, the second giving of the law to them uh, in the book of Deuteronomy. So, but, but all as I was kind of giving you the big picture uh, which is kind of, I guess, in my temperament and my personality and the way I view I'm, I'm better at that. I love the details of the scriptures. They're tremendous and they're beautiful. But the big picture is the thing that I think uh, most of us, perhaps, I, I would say most of us, there's one of the big differences maybe between the Jewish or the Hebrew perspective of the Scriptures and the Gentile uh, perspective. We who have come into the people of God uh, by our response to uh, the good news, the, the gospel of, of Jesus Christ, those of us who have trusted Christ to come into that relationship with God, you have to realize we are... I'm sorry, my headphones are getting close to the microphone, giving you that whistle in the background. But we are um, we are uh, we are grafted in. We are part of the people of God. We are Israel. We are the people of God. We have wrestled with God and won uh, as well, in that we have come into that relationship with Him through the work of the Messiah by faith and trust in God's redemptive plan, uh, God's grace and love. 
and forgiveness. And so we've come into that relationship with God. And I was, what I was wanting to mention to you is all through the scriptures, from Genesis uh, through the maps, as they say, all through the, uh, even into the book of, of the New Testament, um, it covers about the first hundred years uh, after the life of, first 50, 60 years after the life of Jesus, uh, the Messiah, after he had died, uh, was resurrected and ascended to the Father. Then you have, uh, we have, that's the New Testament. But all through the Bible, we have, the Old Testament, we have, uh, literally hundreds, about a little over 300, they say, of predictions, prophecies about the Redeemer, the Savior that God was going to send. The first overt verbal picture we have is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. After the fall of Adam and Eve into sin, uh, God says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, speaking to Satan or to the serpent, uh, as he was manifested there in the serpent uh, in the in the Garden of Eden, he says, "I'm going to put uh, enmity, conflict between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, meaning that this Redeemer, this Savior, is going to be a human being. It's not going to be an animal. It's not going to be a an angel or another te- extraterrestrial of some form. It's going to be a human being, a male of the species, and he." will crush your head, Satan. He's going to destroy what you have done to destroy um, my uh, work with the human race and bring them into sin and condemnation and judgment. But I'm going. To, he's going to crush your head and deliver them. And so uh, we have that first overt <laughs> prediction, <coughs> verbal prediction, excuse me, <clears throat> of the Messiah. But there are a lot of pictured predictions. There are a lot of... Uh, illustrated predictions of the Savior. Uh, for example, uh, when Adam and Eve sinned, uh, they, were in, they were ashamed. They, had to, they tried to cover their shame and their sin. They became, uh, they became self-centered, self-aware, and they were, they were ashamed, and they tried to cover themselves and, to each other. Uh, and we're told in the, in the uh, book of Genesis. And, but God, you know, the, the fig leaves they tried to use to cover their shame and their guilt uh, was not enough. God uh, found them and God confronted them about their sin and he made a provision to cover them. He, uh, An animal, they evidently had to watch an animal die so that they, God made a covering out of skins for them. And we have this first sort of a, uh, veiled picture of God's plan to redeem humanity was the, for one we see through the death of the animal and the covering of their sin we saw that sin has a penalty sin has a consequence it brings death and of course we see that in, in Adam and Eve and in their children were they were instructed to offer to God uh, uh, as acknowledgement of their sin and to uh, in acknowledgement of the sin and to in a picture of of being forgiven, some of their penalty of their sin being poured out on an animal, they were instructed then to give animal sacrifice. And it was a picture of the consequence of the sin. The sin, the soul that sins, it shall die. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin, we're told in the Hebrew Scriptures. So they begin to learn early that the consequence of sin is death. 
and, and, and the picture of what, that we have there with the animal sacrifice and so on. Of course, the animal sacrifices, as it was carried forward into, uh, let's say, into uh, Noah, in the Noahic law, and on into Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in the Mosaic law later on, uh, that, that was what the sacrifices were picturing was the consequence of sin, and also, in a practical sense, it was the, the sacrifices were used to feed the men and women of the tribe of Levi, the, the uh, priestly tribe of Israel. So there was a practical side to it as well. But there was a picture there of the atoning work. The plan of God for redeeming of mankind rested on the concept of substitutionary atonement, uh, Someone would take a hero, a, a, a savior would come and take upon himself our guilt, our shame, our sin, and then God's justice would be satisfied. Judgment would fall upon uh, the sin of, and the rebellion of mankind. And then, but also God's love is, re, is revealed and uh, made clear, is expressed through the work of this hero, this Messiah, who would voluntarily give his life. Who would lay down his? No one took his life from him. He voluntarily gave his life uh, to um, to redeem fallen humanity. Uh, and we can talk a little bit about that, how it works, uh, the, the details of it. Uh, sometimes people now, sometimes people don't need that. I know when I was an eight year old boy, I, I was living in an orphanage. I I never knew my mom and dad. I was a little 19-year-old girl on the Apache Reservation, uh, became with child, as they say, and time came to give birth. She went up to the big city of Albuquerque and gave birth to this beautiful, bouncing, genius baby boy. <laughs> and then she abandoned me at birth, went back to the reservation, and uh, another lady found me on the streets of Albuquerque. She either found me or there was a little uh, infantile commerce going on, uh, but she took me in. She was a 50-year-old fortune teller. Her name was Princess Babe Hawk. She married five times. She got me when she was in the middle of her uh, third. She was separated from her third husband, and uh, But that's when she took me in. She kept me for the first five years of my life. She passed me around to about uh, a lot of different families. Uh, she had adult children by her first marriage, and they kept me sometimes. And others kept me. I, uh, I was told, and my record is that I, was, I lived with 16 different families before I was six years old. And uh, since my name is Dollar, I always accused her of passing the buck. <laughs> that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I'm sure that's where the expression came from. But uh, anyway, she passed me around, and then when I was almost six years old, I was still five, but almost six, she put me into a home for homeless and delinquent boys. They accepted me, Cal Farley's Boys Ranch. Some of you have heard of Cal Farley's up in Amarillo, Texas. It's not a little orphan any kind of place where you, uh, you know, in, in the big city or something. It's a uh, uh, 400 hairy-legged guys living on a 2,500-acre ranch, milking the cows, slopping the hogs, riding the horses, doing the cowboy thing. And uh, that's right, I was a cowboy and an Indian. Huh? You can do it all, right? I can do all things through Christ, <laughs> as the Scriptures say. But I grew up there at the boys' ranch. I trusted Christ as my Savior. I began to walk with the Lord when I was eight years old. I heard that simple little but profound. Don't ever think because the gospel is simple that it's simplistic. It is not. It is extremely profound, the gospel message. 
I learned that God loved me. Just think of the power of those three words, right? God, and all that that means, uh, the Creator Himself, this uh, this being so far beyond our imagination and our understanding. Uh, the, you know, we we can know something of Him. We can know that God is uh, powerful. We know He's intelligent. We understand that He's personal, that He's knowable, and that you know He would not create something. Uh, greater than himself, and of course, what makes human race the top of the the animal chain here on planet Earth is that we are persons. We uh, we have a, the gift of self awareness and intelligence and reason, and we, that's put us at the top of the food chain. And of course, God created us so He wouldn't be less than personal. Uh, God is a personal being, knowable. Uh, his power, His intelligence, His His wisdom. Uh, his mercy, his grace, all of these things we see, the world around us, although there are tornadoes and storms and so on, but but it, it's very clear that it's a beautiful planet we live on. This privileged planet, the blue planet, uh, is uniquely created and, and shaped and molded to, to house humanity. Uh, we find our, all of our needs are met here on this planet and, it, and uh, abundantly. So uh, we see God created, he's created us, and he's calling out of the human race a people for himself. Now, I'm kind of waxing eloquent, getting us, uh, giving again the big picture as we flow from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and now Deuteronomy. I want us to get that big picture as we move into these passages tonight. And so uh, I'm kind of going through the big picture, the big steps that we've looked at. And what we're going to talk about tonight, and uh, I'll give you our phone number in just a moment, I want us to talk a little bit about uh, the perspective, and Jacob and I have been talking about this a long time, the the difference in perspective from the Hebrew perspective of the scriptures, uh, particularly the Tanakh, uh, the Hebrew Jewish perspective with the Hebrew language, Hebrew history, Hebrew traditions, culture, and so on, and uh, the difference between that perspective of the Bible, and those of us from the Gentile world who've heard about uh, the Jewish revelation, we have to realize that everything flows from from God's uh, revelation of Himself to Adam and Eve, and then to Noah, then to uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and then through Moses, uh, God dealing with this people group, uh, particularly uh, to reveal Himself to all of humanity in and through them. And to reveal His plan for us, so we're uh, we're going to talk a little bit tonight about that difference of perspective that we have as uh, Hebrew Jewish people who love God and want God and desire Him, and and the Gentile world that uh, came into this understanding of the God of the Bible and the relationship with God, particularly and especially over the last two thousand years through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So let's talk about that. Our phone number is 210-340-9585. 210-340-9585. Don't go away. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. With offices at Loop 410 and Broadway has taken care of the Dollar family that Suzanne and me plus our three children for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. 
Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. Let us come together. Let us join as one. Let us turn our faces to the rising sun. Let us go up to Zion, to God's holy hill, a mighty army that will worship Him. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. We will worship Him, Jesus is our King. We will worship Him, let the oceans roll, let the heavens ring to the glory. All right, we are back. As I mentioned in our last segment, we're going to be talking a little bit today about the big picture of the scriptures. Kind of, uh, 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 Jacob and I have been discussing this, so I thought I'd take the occasion to uh, discuss it this week. Uh, he called in today. I heard that he's not feeling well, and so he's not going to be with us. But we've talked about it enough to uh, I, that if I say anything contradictory, or yeah, I bet he'll he'll let us know for sure. But we've been talking about this this perspective, this difference uh, from the Hebrew scriptures that we have, and the perspective that we have now in these last uh, you know two thousand years, I, supp- I suppose. But I am thinking particularly of us today. Uh, this old book, the Bible, is still here. It's still a, a perennial bestseller, most uh, copied, the most published, the most uh, you know translated into many different languages. It's been put on film. It's been put on audio tape and tr- recordings. And uh, this this book remains uh, a bestseller uh, around the world. I was just talking to John during the break. This this message about the God of the Bible uh, and uh, Adam and Eve and, and uh, Noah and Abraham and Moses and the kings of Israel and this, this the message of this book and the Redeemer, the Savior, the Messiah uh, has been uh, now taken around planet Earth. Every language, every people group, every culture, every society, uh, they have a witness of and a, and a record of this. And, and men and women from every tribe, every tongue, every language, every culture have come into the people of God. You know, remember uh, in the Old Testament, many times you have the sentiment expressed, let all the world, let all the nations praise God. Let all That was always, we have to remember, and Jacob is always reminding me of this, that, that the Bible was always the message of God. God was always seeking relationship with with all of humanity, all of planet, all of uh, the human race. It wasn't ever really just about one little people group, one ethno group uh, uh, of the. It was always designed. Now he he chose and worked with uh, uh, with an earthly covenant with the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This people group called that we know as Israel now, because Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and they became the children of Israel. Um, but he worked with them and in them and through them to give a witness of himself to the world, uh, to preserve a witness of himself in a, in a 
in an idolatrous, um, polytheistic world. They were, they were the group that God would count on to keep a witness of, of the one and true and living God and to guard their hearts to him. That was an earthly covenant God made with them that if they would follow him and obey him, he would make he would preserve them as a people, which he has done in his grace and mercy, and that he would work through them as a people group, through their descendancy, he would bring into the world the Redeemer, the Savior, the Messiah, uh, the Christ in, in the, the Greek word. So that's where we, that's what we think, uh, who we think Jesus of Nazareth was. That's, uh, uh, and of course, when Jesus of Nazareth was born, he claimed to be that promised, long-awaited Redeemer, Savior, uh, with fulfilling all of those 300-plus prophecies about the, and predictions about the Messiah. He claimed to be the Messiah and offered himself to Israel. Uh, official Israel presented himself. Uh, he was rejected, not by every Jewish person, obviously. All of the early believers were Jewish. Um, Peter, James, John, the disciples, uh, the circle of disciples, all of the early believers were uh, were Jews. And Jesus himself remained. He, he, never, he didn't come to planet Earth to start a new religion. He came to, to be the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior, through which and by whose life and work the, every human being can come into a confident, secure relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, with the true and living God, because of the redemptive work, the atoning work of Jesus the Messiah on our behalf. We can talk more in detail about that if you'd like to know how it worked and what it is. It, the, ultimately, it's relatively simple. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He came and fulfilled perfectly the laws of God, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses. He fulfilled the laws of God perfectly. And so he had no sin of his own. Uh, there was no, the wages of sin is death, but he had no sin for which to die. Uh, he uh, lived a sinless, perfect life as a man, and then he who knew no sin, we're told, became sin for us. He voluntarily gave his life. No one took it from him. No one demanded it from him. He uh, voluntarily gave his life, laid it down so on our behalf so that we, this, the judgment of God fell upon him. We could be forgiven and, and, and uh, uh, our sins atoned for, covered, and then we come into that relationship with the Messiah. So, I mean, with God. And now, after Jesus uh, finished, he ascended to glory to the Father. Uh, as See, he has two hats to wear now. You have to realize Jesus, the Messiah, was a very sp- special individual. He was the true and living God. He was the second person of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. Uh, yeah, that's right. The God of the Bible is uh, not the kind of God you would make up. Uh, he 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 is um, he <laughs> the God of the Bible is a triune God. Uh, there 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 is a plurality in the Godhead. Remember in the book of Genesis, God said, "Let us make man, create man in our own image." Let us. Uh, all of the names of God are plural. Uh, the plurality of the Godhead is is something uh, very clearly in both Tanakh and the New Testament. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And yet, that what kind of oneness is it? What we see in the Scripture is that there are three persons of the Godhead. Uh, the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the Hebrew Scriptures. It's always mentioned as a person. The Holy Spirit is never mentioned as a 
thing, a uh, an impersonal force, or you know, like the force be with you, or uh, the Holy Spirit is a person uh, in the Godhead. The Son of God is mentioned in the in the Tanakh in the Hebrew Scriptures. Uh, look at the the story of the three uh, Jewish men, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They they were thrown into the um, fire into one of the ovens in Babylon, and yet when the king looked, he said, "I saw a fourth one who was likened to the Son of God." And we have other mentions of and appearances of the Son of God, uh, in, in even in the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures. But in the New Testament is where it comes to full blown, uh, full bloom, and we, it is Jesus Himself who who makes formula: the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The the God of the Bible is uh, are there are three distinct persons. In the Godhead, three distinct persons, each with all the characteristics of personhood, fathers, I mean, I mean I'm sorry, intellect, emotion, and will, and all each with all the attributes and, and characteristics of, of deity, uh, um, eternal nature, the, the, the all-knowing, all, everywhere present, uh, all-powerful, omnipotent, all the, the attributes of God, deity, and all the uh, characteristics of personhood. Uh, in each one of the persons of the Godhead, and yet they are one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. What kind of oneness are we talking about? Well, we're not talking about scientific, um, biological, or uh, physical, you know, the laws of physics or chemistry. We're not talking about that kind of oneness. Um, We're talking about a relational harmony and oneness. Uh, that we can understand. We long for relational harmony and oneness in all of our relationships as human beings, in our marriages, in our children, our families, uh, in our work relationships. And uh, can't we all just get along? Can't we just kind of get together and be kind of unified in one? We long for that as, as human beings. Of course, we don't experience it perfectly because we're fallen, selfish human beings. But we long for it. We understand the concept of relational harmony and oneness. And that's what we see perfectly uh, revealed and perfectly uh, seen in the Godhead. The Father, the Son, the Spirit, these three persons of the Godhead dwell together and have eternally dwelt together in perfect love. Perfect love for each other, one in their love and their devotion to each other, one in their character, one in their intent and their purpose, and one in their action. They function and work together. Let us create man in our image. And and we see uh, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth became without form and void, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. We see the Spirit of God there present in the creative event. They work together, the, the three persons of the Godhead, working together, perfect harmony and oneness in every way. To, uh, in creation uh, and in redemption, working together to bring about uh, the, the race of the redeemed, uh, bringing human beings, those who desire a secure and confident eternal relationship with God. God has created us for that purpose, to know him and enjoy him forever uh, as, God, as the people of God. So in every generation, every all around the earth, every nation, every tribe, God is revealing himself and calling men and women into that relationship. Those who desire him and long for him, God has made a provision. Now, the blessing of the gospel is that we can, we can come in, we, we can know 
knowingly and with confidence and certainty come into that relationship with our Father uh, by faith. And we can walk with confidence during this life. I met the Lord when I was eight years old, living at that little uh, home for homeless and delinquent boys up at Boys Ranch. I gave my life to Christ, began to follow Him, and I've walked in that confident, secure relationship with God by faith in who Jesus was and what He accomplished on my behalf. I've just walked with God, and, and God has been faithful and led me all the way and taught me and continues to enrich and guide my life. Now, in the redemptive plan, and I promise I'm going to get to the book of uh, Numbers and Deuteronomy. We're going to tie it all in here, but I want you to see the big redemptive plan of God and how these, uh, the books of uh, Numbers and Deuteronomy, how they fit into it, uh, how, what part they were in the in the rolling out of God's redemptive plan for humanity. Uh, But the one thing I want to mention now is once we have come into a relationship with God through faith and trust in in his son Jesus and the the atoning work of the Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, we're told by uh, John the Baptist, the baptizer in in the New Testament, Then once we come into that relationship of faith with God, God, uh, because of Jesus' work on the cross, God loves us and accepts us just the way we are with all of our sin, with all of our problems, with all of our misunderstandings. God loves us and accepts us just the way we are. Uh, through the, on the basis of Jesus' work, his atoning work on the cross of Calvary, his sacrifice on our behalf. God loves us and accepts us just the way we are. But as C.S. Lewis he loves us, said, he loves us too much to leave us that way. And so now in this phase of our redemptive, uh, of our relationship with God, it's called sanctification. We have been justified by faith in Christ, just as if we had never sinned. Now that's the way God sees me. But now... The Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, is working in his people. All of us who come into that relationship of faith with God through his son, Jesus, the the Spirit of God. Remember, Jesus told his disciples, hey, guys, i got to get out of here. i got to go. I've got to leave you. Why? So the Father can send the Comforter, the Spirit. And he promised them this time, this coming of the Holy Spirit, because he, as, as a man, as the Messiah, living out a perfect life of faith and trust and obedience, submission to the Father, it was only by the grace, the, the leadership and guidance of the Father and through the powering, empowering of the Holy Spirit, he was able to live out that perfect life of a perfect man of faith, trusting in God and winning our salvation, our redemption. Now that same Spirit, because he was successful, because he was, uh, he was able to do that as this, the last Adam, we're told in the New Testament, he was able to do what Adam was unable to do in the Garden of Eden, to see it through to faith and ability, uh, humility and obedience and trust in God. Uh, now that he did it, we are now recipients of God's Spirit. The moment we place our faith and trust in Jesus the Messiah and we come into that relationship of faith with God, the Creator, and we enjoy that being forgiven and, and washed and, and cleansed, and, and now we, we begin the journey, the adventure for which we were created of knowing our God and living with Him in time and in on into eternity after our death, then the Holy Spirit comes to each one of us and he walks with us. He is our he is our faithful, unfailing escort to glory. He will never leave you behind on the plan, on the battlefield. He'll never uh, abandon you. He will not fail. He's going. He's working with each and every one of us, molding and shaping us and 
teaching us and guiding us by his power and his spirit in our lives. Those of us who know the Savior, know the Lord, the Holy Spirit is there to keep us and guard us and protect us and to guide our path uh, to, to perfection. He's going to present us blameless and holy before uh, God's throne. And that's, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the, the aspect of our, our salvation that is called sanctification. We're being made holy. Remember God said, you will be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. And now, yeah, you can see that as a command. You will be holy as I, the God, your... But every command of God becomes a promise in his redemptive plan. He said, I'm going to make you holy. And uh, we look at in Deuteronomy, we talked about God giving his laws to people of Israel. 613 laws that we see there. And, and they, they reflect uh, the character, the holy, uh, perfect character, the purity of our God, and how we should live as the people of God here on planet Earth. And so we, we see the law of God, but none of us, uh, none of us, no one can actually keep all the laws of God perfectly. We've all sinned. We all, we all fail. Uh, even those of us who know God and love God and want God, we still make mistakes. But that's where the work of sanctification coming in comes in. Just as God wrote his laws on a tablet and delivered them to the, uh, to the people of Israel at the base of Mount Sinai, God is now writing his laws on our hearts and our minds so that we, from the inside out, we begin to reflect the character and the goodness of our God and, and the holy nature and the holy character of our God. So that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. He's, he's uh, shining us up and, and getting off the rough edges and, and moving us uh, toward glory. And so that's sanctification when we are being delivered from the power of sin in our lives. Justification, we have been delivered from the penalty of sin. Now in sanctification as God's people, we are being delivered from the power of sin. And this is where you see the, the transformation of people's lives. I mean... This is what I think a lot of people love to hear, these what we call these testimonies of, of how God found me and what God difference made, God made in my life. And it's astounding testimonies of God's faithfulness and goodness. And every believer has one. Uh, if you're a follower, of, a lover of God and a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a testimony of when you, found, when you met the Lord and what he did in your life and how he's changed you and how he's fulfilled your your dreams and your aspirations and and he's begun to change your character and you can tell that story of the difference that God is making in your life now someday though we will be de- we will be delivered from the very presence of sin we have been delivered from the penalty we are being delivered from the power and someday we will be delivered from the very presence of sin when God calls us to home to be with him in heaven or when Christ returns for his people to sew up and, and to close the curtain of history as we know it on this planet, God, Christ promised to return and draw a close to uh, the, the time in history as we know it. And we will go to be with our God forever. And God has called us into that eternal, eternal harmonious relationship uh, that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit enjoy. God has called us as his people and drawing us into that relationship as well. Not that we become God. That's not the idea. But that we, are, we become partakers, participants in that harmonious, perfect love relationship that exists 
uh, in the Godhead, in the Trinity. That's what Jesus talks about in John chapter 17 uh, when he prays his high priestly prayer. Father, bring them into that oneness, harmonious love relationship that you and I have enjoyed from eternity past. Who is he talking about? Bring them. Well, he's talking about his followers. He's talking about his people, uh, the redeemed, those that his disciples of that time. But also, he says, and all those that will believe and trust in them, in their through their come to know you through their testimony. That's you. That's me. God, Jesus was praying for us that we would be brought into that perfect, harmonious relationship with the Creator for eternity. So that's what life on planet Earth is all about. We're, this is our basic military training for the army of God. Uh, the, we're being prepared, drawn into that relationship. We begin to know him here, and then uh, we will go on to be and live with our God forever. God is calling out of the human race, those that desire him, those that want to know him and want to serve him and be God's people. God is calling us from every race, every tribe. I'm Native American, a uh, Mescalero Apache off of the reservation there in southern New Mexico, but uh, I'm part of the people of God. I'm part of, the, I'm part of Israel. I've been grafted in, as Paul tells us in the New Testament. Okay, so that's the big picture. What is it book, What are the books of Numbers and Deuteronomy? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, the books of the history. Those are, those are books of history. We see God working. Uh, the books of the law, the first five books of the New Old Testament, the Torah, uh, the, the books of Moses. And then we move into the time of God telling the story about how he brought Israel out of Egypt and he delivers them to this people group that he covenants with that if they will walk with him and serve him, he's going to continue to reveal himself in and through them as a people to all the nations of the world, keeping alive a witness to the one and true and living God, and that he is going to bring through them, he's going to preserve them as they walk with him in obedience and faith, and that he's going to bring through the people of Israel this Redeemer, this Savior. And so we start following their progress there uh, in, in after the book Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then you go to Joshua, Judges, Ruth, these books of history. We follow the history of this people group. And God is, uh, through his dealings with them, he's giving a picture of his relationship with his heavenly people, his divine people, the people, the, the spiritual Israel. And so he's, he's giving us an earthly picture of his dealings and his goodness and his grace and mercy as he works with them. Uh, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, Samuel, Chronicle, um, Kings, Chronicles. We see these books of history. And then you get into some books of poetry uh, in the, the Psalms and wisdom, the Psalms and the Proverbs and, uh, and the Song of Solomon and so on, Lamentations. We get into the sentiments of God's people, the feelings of what it, uh, what it feels like to be part of the people of God on this planet Earth. Now, see, we, we're not in heaven yet. We're not even in Iowa, <laughs> for those of you, um, what, are, what are the Field of Dreams fans, you know? Is this, hev- is this heaven? No, this is just Iowa. But we're not even, uh, we're not in heaven yet, so we still have to walk out this, this supernatural relationship with God that we talk about. We have to walk it out here on a, in an imperfect world. Good and evil coexist. Bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people. It's complex. It's complicated. Uh, it's not always very, very super clear. Uh, and we're having to walk out this relationship with God in this very cluttered 
messy world that we live in and and uh and so there there are ups and downs in our we're and not only the world around us we still have uh we still have a lot to learn ourselves as god's people we still make mistakes we still have misunderstandings and so we have to deal with that the ups and downs of the life of faith and trusting in god and his what he's doing in us with us and through us and so uh, there's a lot we're learning in this world it's not crystal clear. There's no, you know, just, uh, but we do have a reflected. We have the laws of God. We see God's laws reflected, his will uh, here in the scriptures and so on. And so God is teaching us. But the, the books of poetry talk about the, the feelings, the ecstasy and the challenge and the guilt and the shame and the failure and the staying in the battle and picking ourselves up and dusting ourselves off and moving forward again, how to stay with uh, in our journey with the Lord. And then, of course, we have the prophets, these courageous men and women, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Amos, Obadiah, and Habakkuk, and the, the prophets of God, Malachi, all the way to the last one, Malachi, and how they shake their bony finger in the face of the king and the mighty and the powerful, and, and they talk to the people and call them to repentance courageously. And, well, they're not perfect either. They have their failings. They have their uh, make their mistakes, and many of them do, and each and almost all of them. Uh, you look at... Um, Jonah, remember the the selfish one who takes out. He doesn't want to announce God's word. He doesn't want to be obedient, but uh, God uses him to to foster one of the great miracles, one of the great revivals recorded in the Bible. Uh, is the people of Nineveh? So we have history. We have uh, we have poetry. We have these great sermons and these admonitions to follow God and trust God, and these different types of literature. But all through that, God is communicating himself to all of us. We have different learning styles, different temperaments. Some of us respond more to poetry, others to history and stories, and other people need our own experience of things. And so we learn by personal experience. And, and all of those are reflected in the scriptures. When we come back, I promise this time we will turn to the books of Numbers and Deuteronomy, and let's talk about what are the place, what do, what do these books have to teach us about knowing God and living life on planet Earth as the people of God. Don't go away. Give us a call if you'd like, 210-340-9585. We'll be right back. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Samuel 
First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. You're listening to the Bible live with Soapy Dollar. Job and Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Hosea, Joel, and Amos Obadiah, Jonah, Micah Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi The books of the Bible, their wisdom's verifiable Scripture has a power that's undeniable Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts and Romans, 1st Corinthians, 2nd Corinthians. Everybody sing along the books of the Bible here on the Bible Live. Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians 1 and 2, 1st Timothy, 2nd Timothy. Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st and 2nd John, John. Jude and Revelation, the books of the Bible, time-tested and... All right, we are back. We got our way through the whole Bible, the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, and the News, so I hope... We covered the whole thing, the whole gamut uh, in that particular song. Well, thanks, John, for putting that on. We got uh, another hey, what, 20, 25 minutes to visit with you, talk about this bio- this book, the Bible, and uh, its message. We're going to get now into the books of Numbers and Deuteronomy and talk a little bit about their particular place in this long um, prog- uh, process. That God, there's only there's one. Uh, redemptive plan of God. There's only one salvation, one redeemer, one savior. But the 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 revelation of this plan of God of His redemption has been rolled out a pers- in a pro- in a process progressively over time in, in history. People have responded to that uh, message about God's love and His uh, redemptive plan. People respond to the different levels of understanding they have of it, and God re- uh, is right and justified in applying the full benefits of the work of Messiah, the gospel, to people's life when they when they respond in a heart response of love and trust and obedience and desiring of God, God applies the message uh, full message of redemption to their lines, to their lives. And so that we're we're watching we see that through scripture. We hear that from the message of Scripture. But now we're living in the full light of Messiah himself. The Savior has come and uh, we've seen the explosion of the knowledge of God around planet Earth through the life and the ministry of the Messiah, the Hebrew Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. So let's uh, get into the books of Numbers and Deuteronomy. But first, I want to go and visit with a good friend of the broadcast. He's been with us a long time and loves to call in from time to time and tell us a little bit of what's going on in his life and and maybe a little comment here about the scriptures and response to what I've been talking about as we've uh, kind of taken the big tour, the big scenic route through the entire scriptures tonight, the Tanakh, the Old Testament, and the New. Harold is with us. Hi, Harold. How are you doing? Hi. 
How you doing? Yeah, it's a pretty good uh, trip we had tonight. Yeah. Uh, How, how's twenty twenty going for you? How you coming? Twenty twenty. Well, it's it, it's going good. Uh, I had told a lot of friends of mine my New Year's resolution was to start drinking, and nobody they laughed, but nobody believed it. So <laughs> I guess I guess I'm okay. Oh, well. But uh, plus, I'm up late tonight because you know tomorrow is uh, yeah. Martin Luther King. Uh, right. You know, March and all that stuff. Sure. And actually, I, I wasn't going to mention it because I was going to answer your question in Deuteronomy real quick. But yeah. th- this was the weekend that Antioch Baptist Church came from uh, San Antonio to Temple Bethel. Is that and right? uh-huh. so, Yeah, yeah. It's been another whole year. I think it's the fifth year I heard Pastor Kemp say. And I had a good friend of mine, Joseph Williams, went with me. It, it, and, I'm just going to be truthful because I I told him it took him four, almost five years of me saying, won't you come and see? Won't you come visit me? Won't you come? Uh And because I've been to his church many times, and finally he was there Friday night. And, you know, we turned around and welcomed the Sabbath in, and he goes, what was that for? What did that do? And I said, (laughs) well, didn't you feel it? I said, well, you have to come back again maybe next Uh time. (laughs) But anyway, this this morning we... I know, I, I, you know, he's such a good friend of mine at work, and, uh, you know, I rely on him a lot, honestly. And, uh, you know, when I get down and out, and he, he he's there with a good word and Wonderful. stuff like that, you know. But nothing And then like, this uh, morning... Nothing, nothing like a godly pal uh, uh, oh, it, to it, encourage us. It helps. It helps. And, of course, this morning we went to Antioch Baptist Church, and... Um, Rabbi Nathan was there with Pastor Kemp and uh, Rabbi Stahl and Catherine uh-huh. Berlin and all that. Uh-huh. And uh, it, it was a real good message. I really uh, liked what she said. Uh, we're going to try to get together uh, a little more often during the year on the certain holidays and this, this and that festivals and stuff, good, Bible good. studies, uh-huh. things like that. But to answer your question, I think what you were driving at, and I did hear the whole, sh- the whole show Part of it, I was driving to Jack in the Box, and I had it on the radio. <laughs> um, so I guess that counts. But anyway, I think what you're trying to sum up is, and I was running through this verses for you, uh, Deuteronomy in the NLT thirty-three twenty-six. Uh-huh. I think this is what you're trying to say tonight. Okay. There is no one like the God of Israel. He rides across the heavens to help you across the skies in majestic splendor. So I'm I'm thinking, you know what I've learned? I'm thinking, you remember how Abraham looked at the stars of the promise? Yes, uh-huh. Way back there in chapter, yeah. I don't know, 11, 12, 14, 16. And, but the faith came in from yeah. what he couldn't see. Yes. The stars was not the faith. The right. faith was beyond the stars, the blackness. And that's that's how we have to live our life, by faith things we can't see. And, you know, I was thinking about Jesus Christ, how you said he's the Messiah. He came. It's written in the Old Testament. I I see all that. And what is a job? What is one of the jobs of a Messiah? Even like Jeremiah, Isaiah, they, they, they taught, I don't say the Bible, they taught the law, they taught the scriptures, they tried to keep people to do right from, and Jesus, he brought that word to the Gentiles. Yes. Yeah. When when no one else was going to do that. He's the one that stepped out 
And he and I know I've heard you and Jacob discuss before, you know, people like like percentages and maybe 70, 75 percent of what Jesus is quoted in the New Testament. Uh I'm sure a lot more words were said. Yeah. Came out of Deuteronomy and maybe a few other books further towards Genesis. So that that is the guideline. And, you know, I'll tell you one thing. I am so grateful when we had that overtime at work. I went and bought me about two Bibles of every every one. <laughs> I am so grateful. If you ever get any extra money out there, you better stock up because there's going to come time when you cut down to 40 hours. Yeah. I really appreciate what you're saying there, Jake. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, Harold. Um, well, Jacob sounds good. Yeah, Go ahead. yeah, he does. He does. But And, and I guess uh, even John here in the studio was, was talking about, you know, it, Kind of, we were talking about a little bit of what I'm sharing, what I'm trying to kind of communicate, and and the point is, is this, this this book, it, is absolutely incredible. I mean, uh, of course, our God, it, because it, it, because it talks about our God, and, and of course, we believe that actually God has inspired, He has caused this record of Himself and His revelation of Himself to be given to us, and we, this incredible gift that we have in this book. The Bible, uh, both Old and New Testaments, the record of God's movement in time and space and history, his revelation of himself, and the carrying out of his redemptive plan. So I agree with you there that, that the beauty of the book and, and its power is it reveals to us God's character, how we should live as God's people here, and, and what is this plan of redemption by which any human being on planet Earth can come into a confident, secure relationship with the Creator by by faith and trusting Him and His goodness, His mercy, His grace. I I, I agree with you. I, I I think you have captured what I'm what I I told J, uh, John here in the studio. I want people to see the power, the potential of this book. It has shaped Western civilization. It's it's shaped our mm-hmm. nation's history. This power. This book is powerful. And sadly, we seem to have been moving away from it a little bit. Well, it just depends. It it just depends. I this is is the greatest book, and it helps to have things explained to you. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean just uh, Jewish people, but people that really take their time to not just read the words, but what the words mean and how God spoke to people back then with mm-hmm. illustration, mm-hmm. the writing on the wall, mm-hmm. you know, cutting animals in half or walking yeah. around them, sure. whatever they have to do. I mean, that probably doesn't make any sense, but uh, well, it does it to all, me now. I, it all has sense, and I agree with you that there is, and that's one of the things that I've been so enriched by my friendship with Jacob, and I think here on the, on the uh, air that Jacob has helped lend and give to us that Hebrew language, historical tradition, the cultural understanding of these scriptures that is so important to us that because we as as Gentiles, particularly us now in this, and he doesn't like me to say us Gentiles, you know, but but you know we all okay. we all we know is we 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 read this book in English, you know, it's been translated through centuries, and now it's into another language or other languages, and, mm-hmm. and it doesn't. It doesn't mean it's incomplete or wrong in English. No. We can love it and we can respond to it. But there is a richness that comes when we dig just a little deeper into the into the language and into the, the, the cultural, the linguistic background of the book. Uh, we're very much enriched by the testimony and the understanding of our Jewish uh, friends who, who can give us that background and that uh, that 
linguistic understanding of the Hebrew and so on. It, I think that we we get to know the book even better uh, through our our Jewish uh, friends and those. Of, of course, there are many many Jewish men and women who know and follow Jesus as the Messiah, their Messiah, and of course they in particular enrich our faith as Gentile believers. And but but you're right. Uh, it's well, the book is you know, powerful. What I would say about uh, Jewish friends, and I do have a few Jewish friends, and I, but you know the the Jewish friends that take the time to to spend hours, days uh-huh. on just one partial, just maybe five verses, just yeah. a certain segment, and to really have an understanding the way the people that lived in that time understood uh-huh. what they meant. It, uh-huh. It's hard. You know, when we read it, it's okay. I feel good. I, I felt good reading that. Uh-huh. Uh, I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I, I take it kind of literal. Uh-huh. And, and until I have someone explain, well, it, you know, back when Jesus' time, when someone said the Jews uh, at the temple did this, and Jesus turned over the temples and the Jews were all upset, that's not true. The Jewish people at that time, we I've heard it on your show, they were kicked out, like John the Baptist, how he has his name. Yeah. They were kicked out. Yeah. Those were Roman people or people that fell away. They were running the temple back then. Yeah. And so back then, now, people that don't have that understanding say, the Jews, uh, I'm going to say it, killed Christ. The uh-huh. Jews did all these bad things. Jesus went there and just, no, that's not true. The temple was taking over. And there's people that can say it a lot right. better than I can. Yeah, no, no, but, that's, but uh, one of, that's one of the, I think that that's one of the great principles, the things that I've learned, like from Jacob, is I think a lot of us New Testament, you know, Gentile believers now, and, and I, that's not a put down at all. We just not, No, our understanding is, but we read this in English and we write right there on the surface and it has a good surface meaning. It's beautiful and it's powerful, but... If you do get a little below the surface and look at the history and the times, you do realize that the context of these statements, and they can enrich our understanding. They really do. And I think that's one thing that Jacob has taught me, that the level of corruption and compromise in the Jewish society and their religious system and their political system, the the level of corruption and, and compromise in the time of Jesus, in that first century, was so high that I never really appreciated the extent, uh, uh, you know, kind of the messiness of the world that Jesus and, and the Jewish people of that era, even godly good John the Baptist and others, I never realized how dangerous and how how corrupt the times were that they had to and he was in the temple yeah right and and he was there growing up as a child uh you know a young person i just kind of the way it was taught maybe not on purpose but he just grew up in the wilderness and ate stuff but no he had come to listen to this show and you find out no he he was a levite he was a priest he was kicked out he had to run for his life and (laughs) the messiah is coming all that and i just want to say one more thing as an example I love the way Jacob uh, has this broad example of John, uh, John chapter 1, uh-huh. how it, it plainly reads, in the beginning the Word was already existed, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, uh-huh. God created everything through Him. Okay, 
But the way Jacob explains what the I, – I, I can't even go there, to be you're honest with you. I'll the, mess it up so bad. Remember the word? Is that what you're talking about with Jacob? Yes, John. The, the, it, breath, yeah, and, uh, the word is breath. It, I, I like that illustration as well. It's very beautiful. Yes, and that's that's what – that's things that I learned here. I'm interested in it. Yeah. Like I say, I read my Bible every day at work. I don't have Jacob sitting next to me saying, <laughs> what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? Yeah. But I have the podcast sometimes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyway, I better let you run. And, you, uh, you know, because it shows, I'm sorry, it's almost over already. You yeah. ought to do two hours. <laughs> yeah, we ought to. But, uh, yeah, I appreciate your call. I understand. Oh, no kidding. All right. It's thank a, you very much. I'd like to visit with you. Thanks for calling in. Uh, you can do the same. We've got a few minutes left. 210-340-9585. But let me get down to numbers in Deuteronomy now. How What role do they play in the uh, rolling out the record that we have of God's redemptive plan? Now, uh, God is using the nation of Israel, the P- Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now he's brought them out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses, and he has presented him his laws at the base of Mount Sinai. He's reconstituted them as a people. Uh, Israel now, they, they'd kind of gotten and gotten away from their covenant relationship with their God and, and forgotten it entirely. But Moses here at the base of Mount Sinai reminds them of their God and who they are as the people of God, the covenant relationship they have with him. And then they they renew that covenant. Uh, and, 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 of course, these are we're constantly reminded by Jacob and the scriptures here that these were not just Jewish, ethnically Jewish people. These were, uh, there was a mixed multitude of people uh, with them, and they became Israel at the base of Mount Sinai. So we're not talking ethnicity or racist uh, uh, here. We're talking about a people who covenanted to follow the true and living God, the Creator. And so now they moved up, uh, and we see, as I said earlier, we see a little bit, we learn lessons about God's dealings with his people as we watch how God deals with the people of Israel. They move out from under Mount Sinai. Uh, they leave and they, they build the tabernacle, the presence, the manifest presence of God in their midst as they move through the uh, the wilderness. And they go up to uh, Israel and they they're told, go on in. And so they send some spies into the city, into the nation, and into the Canaan, the uh, promised land, to tell Actually, they were sent in with the purpose of telling, um, let me see, the instruction they uh, were given were to go in and find, let me see if I can find it here. I had it written down. Um, they were sent in with the instruction to, Find the best invasion route in the cities which should be attacked first. That was what they were told in chapter 1 of Deuteronomy. They were supposed to go in, these 12 spies, and, and, and tell the people what was the best invasion route in the cities that which should be attacked first. But instead, they came back. Ten of the spies said, we can't do it. They're too big. They're like, they're like giants, and we're, we're like grasshoppers to them, and so on. And Jacob would have more to say about this in, in instructing and guiding us in our understanding of it. But frank, frankly, on the on the surface of it, they they chickened out. You know, they we can't go. We can't trust God to do this. Now, um, the Caleb and Joshua they said, "Let's go in. We can do it as God commanded us to." But 
they didn't go in. And so they were, they were, their, their punishment, the consequence of their disobedience and their lack of faith was that they were to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until all of the males of that generation had died away, uh, except Caleb and Joshua, who were given a longer life because of their faith and their obedience. Now, uh, that's 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 a story too. We all face challenges. We are called to be the people of God. We're called to be to stand up for righteousness and goodness in our society, in our culture, in our world we live in today. And sometimes we chicken out. Sometimes we don't take that step of faith and obedience because we're afraid. Uh, it looks like you know who am I? I can't do that. And yet we're that's a good see those those are the kind of lessons we can learn as we watch the experiences of the people of Israel. Now, uh, in, in the book of Numbers, uh, it's where we read about these two uh, censuses that are taken. First, uh, they count the number of warriors in the land. We've talked about that at, at length. Uh, we see the the dividing of the land. The the the, the city uh, the, the cities of refuge are, are, are created there. We studied a little bit about those in Numbers, but Deuteronomy. Now we we see uh, this. Moses is presenting. Um, Again, the second giving of the law to this new generation of, of, of the people of Israel, and is explaining it to them again, uh, what God, how God wants them to live now as the people of God, and so uh, they get that they fail in their first attempt to enter. Um, they but then God told them to turn back and go back into the wilderness, but even then they disobeyed Him and they thought, Oh no, we, we're not going to. And, and then they were soundly defeated in battle by the Amorites in, in chapter 1 of Deuteronomy and so on. And we, uh, so we see God dealing with them. And we learn lessons. If we read the Hebrew Scriptures and we watch the people of Israel, we can learn lessons about how we should obey and trust God. And when he leads us and his, his power is at work and when we follow his commands to do what he says to do and stand up for righteousness and goodness, uh, and and to love our fellow man and so on, that we we should do that. Be courageous, even at our own sacrifice. But God is with us. Uh, then we um, we meet these two groups of people in the book of Deuteronomy. We meet the um, Edomites. We learn that remember Jacob and Esau. That you, you want to remember these names because the Edomites appear many times in Scripture, and they are the people group that descended from Esau, Jacob's twin brother. And uh, in in general, they are they are wicked. They attack the people of Israel, uh, and so on. And so we meet the Edomites, we meet the the Moabites, the Amorites. Remember when uh, uh, these children of of Lot um, that that uh, become a nation and people groups, uh, the Amorites and the Moabites, and and of course we read about Ruth, the little. Uh, uh, girl Ruth that's written about in the Bible. She was a Moabitess, but she comes to faith in the true and living God. So we're, again, we're, it's never about racism or about ethnicity as fundamentally. It's about faith, the people of God, those who trust and love the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the true and living God. And so we see that uh, Adon, uh, the Midianites descend from Abraham's second wife, Keturah, uh, whom Jacob tells us was uh, his wife's handmaiden, uh, Sarah's handmaiden, um, was Keturah, another name for her. She became a convert to follow after God and became Abraham's second wife. 
uh, what the tradition, Jewish tradition, and Jacob lets us know about that. We hear about Lot and his two daughters after Sodom and Gomorrah, God's judgment on those wicked cities. Uh, and uh, th- so uh, we learn about Sodom and Gomorrah, the judgment. We read about his daughters that have children by uh, Lot so that they would not be left without uh, children. And that becomes the, Am- the Ammonites and um, the Moabites. So uh, we're, we're well into the book. Uh, we're studying about God's dealings with these people. We're looking at the second giving of the law to now to the second generation. And so always try to be the kind of person, the kind of man that God, that you would like to have as a parent. And we'll see you next week here on The Bible Live. Thanks for being with us. God bless. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 9.30 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and The Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world.